0: As parents, it's an amazing thing to watch your children come to know the Lord, to watch them know Him in a very real and relational way. Such a joy, such an encouragement as a dad as I was listening this morning to the praise set singing praises to God there was something that that just overwhelmed me it's the love of the father we'll go ahead and dismiss our kids as they are dismissing themselves uh, to kids church uh uh the love of the Father, uh, so great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that he would call us sons. Mm. But if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. The book of Matthew, chapter 7. We're gonna read verses 24 through 29. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying over the last several weeks. We've been studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we've been in the book of Matthew now uh, for some time. Uh, if you notice, we're only on chapter 7, so we will be in the book of Matthew for some time to come. Uh, so go ahead and stick a bookmark there, uh, uh, crease the pages real good, because we're going to be in the book of Matthew for a while. Uh, but we're going to be Matthew chapter 7 this morning, we're going to be reading in verses 24 through 29. So, verse 24. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. God, as we hear your word this morning. May you speak to our hearts. May we see ourselves in this passage either as the wise man who acts upon the teachings of Jesus, who obeys the teachings of Jesus, or the foolish man who disregards and is disobedient to the teachings of Christ. Lord, may you speak to our hearts this morning. May we see our need for grace. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that as we leave this place today, I pray that whenever you leave and go home, whenever you walk out these doors and go to Piccadilly or or wherever it is you go to lunch, uh, that you will leave this place knowing that you have a need for grace. That's my prayer this morning. We've been studying the book of Matthew. We understand the book of Matthew, a couple of, of historical and contextual things. The book of Matthew was written by Matthew. Real insightful there, right? The book of Matthew was written by Matthew, the the disciple of Jesus, the tax collector. The book of Matthew was written to a very specific audience. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews. And the book of Matthew was written not only to a specific audience and by a specific author, but to convey a specific theme, to present Jesus, to demonstrate Jesus as the Son of David. Very good. As the promised Messiah, as the Son of David. And in this passage, in this passage, we see Jesus concluding probably the most famous sermon in all of human history, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just preached for Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 7, and he has addressed all sorts of teachings. He's addressed uh, uh, teachings on, on murder, on, uh, teachings on adultery, teachings on anxiety, teachings on judgment. He has addressed all sorts of teachings. All sorts of issues, and he comes to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, and he says, "If you obey my words, you 'll be like a wise man. If you disobey my words, you 'll be like a foolish man. But I want us to back up just a little bit and and put us into the context of this story. Everyone who hears these words of mine is like and acts upon them will be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rocks and the storm came, and everyone who does not act upon these words of mine will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the storms came. If you live long enough, and if you are fortunate enough to live long enough, then you will live long enough to experience suffering, hardship, and consequences of the fallen world that we live in. You will experience storms in your life. Storms will come in your life. The storms of life are unavoidable. They are unavoidable. You will experience death. You'll experience sickness, you'll experience disease, you'll experience pain, you'll experience loss, you'll experience hardship. Why? Because that's the human condition. Because we live in a fallen world. And every one of us, to some degree or another, has already experienced some evidence of the storms in our life. And I want to point out something that is that is very obvious, but sometimes we, we overlook it. It's that both the wise man in this passage and the foolish man experienced the exact same storm the foolish man and the wise man lived in a house that that comparably they were from the outside they looked the same their paint color the shutters the 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 storm the storm windows everything it was all the same the only difference was the foundation the storm that hit both homes was the same the wind that battered both homes were the same the 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 waves that battered both homes were the same the only difference was the foundation and the storms of life are unavoidable and in south louisiana we know a little bit some. we know a little bit about storms don't we i am thankful that for the last several years we have not had to use the generators we've not had to break out the uh the the uh gas cans the the storage units that we have filled up with with five-gallon gas cans and the generators and, and all hunker down for a hurricane. But we know how to prepare for hurricanes. We know how to, to go to the store and, and stock up on propane. We know how to, how to make sure that we've got generators to run our freezers and make sure that we've got generators to run our refrigerators. And, and maybe, we can, maybe we can scrounge around and find a window unit or two so that when the air is out for a week that we're not sweating to death in the August heat. We in South Louisiana know how to prepare for, for, for storms. We know how to prepare for hurricanes. But is it not true that no matter how prepared for the storm we are, we are never fully prepared for the storm? No matter how many batteries we have for flashlights, eventually you're going to put batteries in that flashlight that you thought worked and you're going to flick it on and what's going to happen? Nothing. No matter how prepared you are, you're going to go to crank up that generator and what's going to happen? Nothing. You're going to pull and pull and pull until you just about pull your arm out of socket only to realize that the gas that you left in there from the last storm five years ago has gone bad and now the carburetor's shot. It doesn't matter how much we prepare, we're always unprepared. About a year and a half ago, a little bit less than that, my dad passed away. And he had had cancer for a little over a year and we knew his diagnosis the moment that he was diagnosed with cancer. The doctor told us that he's going to die of cancer. That, that we're going to do everything we can. We're going to treat as much as we can. But, but this, will, this will kill him. It. it may take a year, maybe two with the right treatment. But this will eventually take his life. And so for an entire year, we grieve, we mourn, we say goodbyes. We have moments of bonding. We, we, re- we prepare ourselves financially for, for the inevitable. We make sure all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted and all of, the, uh, all of the legal documents. Once the doctors say there's no more that we can do, you try as best you can to prepare yourself emotionally. You try as best you can to prepare yourself mentally. The last few days of his life, you see him suffering. You're just praying that God would take him out of his suffering, God would ease his pain, preparing yourself as much as humanly possible. And then, when he takes his last breath, and I walked into that room, preparing myself for an entire year for the death, my dad there was no way that I was even remotely prepared for the death of my dad. You can try in every way possible to prepare yourself for the inevitable storms of life, but when the storm hits, there's no way that you will be adequately prepared for what you will encounter. And for those of you who've experienced great grief and great sorrow and great loss, you know exactly what I'm saying. You knew this day was coming, and you prepared and prepared and prepared, but when that day came, there was no way that you were adequately prepared. Such are the two people in our story. The wise man and the foolish man. They both knew the storm was coming, and it came just as inevitably as we all know it will. There are some of us here who know that in just a few months, maybe years, that we'll be burying our parents. There are some of us that, that, that know that there are hardships and trials that are on the horizon and we see them coming and we prepare. But we know that there's no way that we will adequately prepare. So the question is, how will we weather those storms in our lives? Well, how we weather those storms in our lives is completely dependent upon one thing, and one thing alone, obedience. Look at the text. <clears throat> Many of us have heard passages after passages, messages after messages, that say that this that this passage says, to those who built their life upon the rock of Christ Jesus, they will be able to weather the storm. Those who do not, will not be able to weather the storm. But that is not what this teaching says. Let's look and see what the text actually says. Look at verse 24 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them the English standard version that you have up here says and does them some of your standards some of your versions may say and obeys them everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them does them obeys them may be compared to the wise man who built his house upon the rock look at verse 26 Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, does not do them, does not obey them, shall be compared to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. How we weather the storms in our lives is completely dependent upon our obedience. Obedience. Obedience to what? To the teachings of Jesus. Specifically, the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just got done preaching for Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and he gets to the end of this message, and he says, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will be wise, and you will, be, you will have your house built upon the rock, and when the storm comes, you will be able to endure. If you don't do what I'm telling you to do, what I've just told you to do in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then you will experience a great fall when the storm comes, because there will be no foundation for your life. The weathering of the storm is completely dependent upon our obedience. This is not only found in Matthew chapter 7. John chapter 3, the famous passage that we know, John chapter 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But if you keep reading, at the end of John chapter 3, verse 36, he says this. He says, whoever obeys the Son has life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides upon him. And so we see this this same theme of obedience flowing all throughout the gospel, that God's desire for us is not just that we know the truth, but that we obey the truth. In James it says this, it says, Be ye not hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word. James says this, he said, You show me your faith apart from your works, I show you my faith by my works. Not that our works saves us, but our works, our obedience to the Word is evidence of the faith within us. And so how we weather the inevitable storms in our lives is completely dependent upon our obedience. In this case, the the obedience is referring to all of the Sermon on the Mount. And so that ought to encourage us. We don't have to obey all the Word of God. We just have to obey Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? That's easy, right? Well, let's look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What does he say? He says... You've heard it said that if you commit murder, that that's bad, but I say to you, if you have hatred in your brother's heart, you've already committed murder. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in, our, in your heart. And we can look at all through, all through all the Sermon on the Mount, and it deals with not the letter of the law, because the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the Sadducees, they had all kept the letter of the law, but the problem is, is they had missed the spirit of the law, that it wasn't about the act of not going and killing someone. It wasn't the act of not, not committing adultery and not sleeping with someone other than your spouse, but it was a heart issue. And the heart was the problem. And so, Jesus says, if you'll just obey Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then you're good. The problem is, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it deals not with the tangible acts of our life, but it deals with the heart And it is impossible to keep the law. Jesus has taken the law in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he has has expounded upon the law. He has elaborated upon the law. He said it's not just the act of your flesh. It's not just the act of your hands and your feet. But it is the act of your heart that God is concerned with. Obedience in this text is synonymous with with wisdom obedience is synonymous with wisdom disobedience is synonymous with foolishness many of you parents you're sitting here you say i have some very foolish children because my children are extremely disobedient and we are hoping that as they grow they grow from fools to wise men They become more and more obedient, and that is our role as parents, is to teach them the value of obedience, to teach them that obedience brings wisdom, that that God has given us authority figures in our lives, that God has placed parents in our lives, teachers in our lives, pastors in our lives, coaches in our lives. He's placed people in our lives that, that want what's best for us to teach us wisdom, and all of those authority figures in our lives are simply a reflection of the authority of God in our lives that God desires for us to be obedient to Him. What I want us to point out, look at verse 29 of Matthew chapter 7, because this is very interesting. If you look at the very last verse of chapter, Matthew chapter 7, it says that Jesus, He was teaching them as one having authority. Not like the scribes. Not like the religious leaders. But he was teaching them as one having authority. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, and let's look and see what it is that they were referencing. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching sounded something like this. Look at verse 21. You have heard the ancients were told, You shall not commit a murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Verse 22. But I say to you. Jesus later says, You have heard. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. You have heard this concerning divorce. But I say to you. Jesus was speaking prophetically, but he did not say, Thus saith the Lord. Interesting. Isaiah When he was prophesying, thus saith the Lord, spoke, thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah, when he was prophesying, speaking on behalf of God, said, thus saith the Lord. Elijah, thus saith the Lord. Elisha, thus saith the Lord. So on and so forth. All of the Old Testament prophets, when they spoke on behalf of God, they said, thus saith the Lord. Jesus stands up and begins to proclaim to the multitudes, proclaim to his disciples, and he said, You have heard it said. But I say unto you, a proclamation of deity. Jesus said, I don't speak for the Lord. I am the Lord. Do you see the difference? And the Jews, the Pharisees, the, the multitude that were there, they heard that authority in his teaching. They said He speaks as one having authority. Different than all the other prophets. Yes, Jesus was a prophet. Yes, Jesus was a great teacher. But He was so much more than a prophet and a great teacher. He was God in the flesh. He said, you have heard what I say unto you. So, Jesus has given us these commandments. We shall not have hatred, bitterness, anger in our heart against our brother or sister in Christ. We shall not look at a woman or man with impure thoughts. We shall honor the oath of God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We shall not judge one another, but we shall look upon them with grace and mercy, understanding that we ourselves are our recipients of grace and mercy. We shall not be anxious for tomorrow. We shall not worry about that which we cannot control. All of these things that are packed into Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And then we're asked this question. Obedience is synonymous with wisdom. Disobedience is synonymous with foolishness. What does our actions say of you? What does our actions, what does my actions say of me? Am I a wise man or am I a fool? You have my wife and my children, they'll be very frank with you and they'll say, my dad's a fool. (laughs) Because they know me more intimately than anyone else. And they know that I am not always obedient. That I do not always do what I say I'm going to do. I do not always do what it is that the scripture teaches me to do. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Because I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. I am disobedient. I am. Go back to the very first statement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Are you a wise man or are you a fool? If we're honest with ourselves, you don't have to be honest with anybody else, but be honest with yourself. If we're honest with ourselves, we will agree that more often than not, we're fools. Jesus' first statement in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to start to say, we've, we've taken months to go through this passage. They heard this in one sitting. So they would have, Jesus concludes with, Blessed are you if you, if you obey these words and you are wise. Foolish are you if you disobey these words and, and, and are not obedient. And so this is, this is where they would have came back to. Jesus coming back to the very beginning. What does he say? Verse 3. Blessed are are the poor in spirit? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse six: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is the meaning of this? This blessed. Blessed are those who poor. Blessed are those who are who are mournful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, there's a difference between between being blessed and being affirmed or being being being. Uh, uh, Confirmed or being affirmed is blessed is the idea of being loved for who we are, not for what we do. Let that sink in for just a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, God said you are loved because of who you are, not because of what you do. Blessed are those who are mourned. Because of who you are, not because of what you've done. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not that you've achieve, achieved righteousness, not that you've attained righteousness, but blessed are you, you are loved because of who you are. The purpose on the Sermon of the Mount was to expose the inability to keep the law. There was no way that you could listen to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because in there he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, that's it? Oh, I've got that. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was to reveal our inability to keep the law. And Jesus comes back and he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are mournful. Those who desire righteousness, for they shall be filled." When we see ourselves desperately in need for God, and His grace He lavishes upon us. When we see ourselves as, as arrogant and self-righteous, that, that, that I have, like the rich young ruler, I have attained grace, I have attained, I have attained uh, 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 righteousness by my own merit, I've kept the law since my youth, I've done everything right. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When we see ourselves Matthew chapter 7 as a fool we become poor in spirit when we see ourselves guilty of disobedience we become mournful of our own spiritual depravity when we are hungering and desiring the righteousness of God we see ourselves in need of God and that's when he says you will be filled Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the mournful, for they will be comforted and given the spirit of comfort. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we see ourselves in desperate need for His, His grace and His mercy, He lavishes upon us. I want to look at a couple passages. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. Paul makes this statement. He says, for God has shut up all disobedience that He might show mercy to all. God has shut up all disobedience that He might show mercy to all. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, He says this, And the law came, and in that, the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. I want to paint this picture for you for just a moment. The prodigal son, full of arrogance, full of pride, full of his own desires to fulfill the lust of his flesh, says, says, Dad, give me my money now. I know I've got an inheritance coming. You're loaded, you got all this land, you got all this livestock, you got all these servants, give me my money now so that I am not old and I can enjoy my money. Logical, right? Why wait till I'm 60, 70 years old and you're dead and now for me to enjoy it? Give me my money now so that I can invest it and I can enjoy it I can, and, and I'll, I'll be set for the rest of my life. So his father gives him his request. The scripture says that he spends all of his wealth, spends all of his inheritance on loose living. Loose living. I'll let your imaginations run wild there. He spends his inheritance on loose living. He finally... Run out, runs out of money and gets a job at a pig farm. And as he's working in the pig farm, the role of the prodigal son was to feed the pigs. If you've ever been to a pig farm, you know that pigs are not necessarily clean animals. There's a reason that the scripture calls them in the Old Testament unclean animals because they are unclean animals. They are not clean. And they, they, they make a, a, a wallow. They make a pig sty. When your moms and dads come into your room and say your room looks like a pigsty, there's a reason. Because they, they root and they, they dig up any vegetation in the ground so it's nothing but mud. And in this mud, they use the restroom. And there's no vegetation so the fecal matter and the bodily fluids just gets all mixed up in there with the mud. And what do these pigs do? They roll around in it. And then you have the job as the prodigal son going in there and feeding these animals. And whenever you go into the pigsty, do you think that they just all go to one side so that you can get to the trough and put feed in there? No. They see you coming in there with food, they're running to the trough. And 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 what inevitably happens whenever you've got a bunch of pigs that are running to the trough that weigh three or 400 pounds, and you've got... A man, 150, 200 pounds that's in there, he's going to get knocked over and he's going to fall in this mud and be covered in this mud that is full of pig stuff. (laughs) This is a very real picture and I want you to see this. The scripture tells us that the son, the prodigal son came to himself. All of a sudden the light bulb went off and said, you know what, I could work for my dad and I wouldn't have to do this. And so he goes home. The scripture never tells us that he took a bath. Hear this! Hear this! Hear this! This is—I I believe that this is—that this is a, a real picture of the gospel. Here is this man who s- spent all of his money, all of his wealth, all, his, all of his inheritance on God knows what. He's covered in pig feces and mud and dirt. He's got it everywhere. Grabs what little bit he has, and he goes home. And his dad, sitting on the porch, staring out, sees him. Sees him covered from head to toe in garbage. And runs to him. And doesn't say, son, go take a shower, you're nasty but throws his arms around him. Takes a purple robe, signifying royalty, puts it upon his shoulders. Takes a ring, signifying unconditional love, places it upon his finger. And says this, Kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate because my son is home. He was dead, and now he's alive. It doesn't matter that he's covered in pig stuff. He says, I love you. Come to me. Church, that's the message of the Gospel. We see ourselves in Matthew chapter 7 covered in pig stuff because we cannot keep the law. We're not good enough for God. But because we could not keep the law, God kept the law for us. Jesus came to earth, and the Scripture says in Matthew, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the very righteousness of Christ. That in Christ, we are righteous. And that Christ took the sin that was upon us and bare it on Calvary. And He died the death that you and I deserved. And so, we can come to God. In all of our garbage, in all of our stuff, in everything that covers us, we can run to Him. And He loves us. He wraps His arms around us. And says, you are mine. You are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are no longer damaged goods. You are an heir to the throne. You are no longer a child of wrath. You are a child of the living God. My prayer is when you leave this place, you see your need for grace and you cry out to Jesus. Jesus desires to take your sin your shame, replace it with His righteousness and His glory. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You saw our need for grace and You poured it out upon us. You saw our need. You saw our depravity. You saw our wickedness. You saw our hearts. And You loved us anyway. Romans 5:8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Lord I thank you that while we were sinners you paid your red rich shed your red rich royal blood and paid the penalty that we deserved that we might have eternal life there's someone here this morning who's shown up like the prodigal son covered in filth you say there's no way God'll accept me as I am and yet this morning, the Father is running to you. He's throwing His arms around you. And He's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to throw a purple robe around your shoulders and say you are no longer a slave, but you are a son and heir to the throne. He wants to give you a ring that says no matter what you've done, no matter what you will ever do, I will always love you. That's you this morning. I want to invite you to Come. Maybe this morning you've been trying to keep the law. You've been trying to be good enough for God. You need to realize your grace this morning, your need for grace. Maybe this picture of baptism was an encouragement to you that while you've trusted Jesus, you've not yet followed in obedience by being baptized. Maybe God's spoken to your heart and said, whatever's going on here at Redeemer that I need to be a part of. Just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. As we do, I want to invite you to respond to the Spirit of God. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move in this place. In Jesus' name.